here it is today. You ready for this? Super Bowl Sunday, right? Now, I know some people here today are like, Super Bowl Sunday, it's great. And then there's others that are here going, I really don't care, right? Okay, I get it. There's both camps. But I got thinking this morning as I was getting ready, um, really, Super Bowl Sunday for me has less to do with football and more to do with gorging myself with food, okay? Just being honest with you. That's really what happens. So cowboys are no cow- cowboys. I, I eat way too much on Super Bowl Sunday. But I was thinking this morning, you know, who's really in control in a football game? And some people might say, well, it's the quarterback. He's the, he's the, he's the man, right? You know, and, and some would say, no, 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 no. It's the guy who has the ball. Whoever has the ball, he's the one who's in control. But someone else may argue and say, well, uh, I think it's the coach. You know, the coach is the one that's in control because he's the coach calling the shots while others might say, I think it's the owner, right? Because he's the one that controls everything with the money. So he's the one that's really in control. But when it comes to the actual game, the one that's in control are these teeny tiny little referees that run around the field because they're the ones that have all the authority. They're the ones that have all of the power. They can eject you out of the game. They don't necessarily make rules up as they're going. The boundaries have been established. They just call you out when you cross those boundaries. They hold you accountable. And that's exactly what the Word of God does for us, the the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about things that limit our relationships. We've been talking about, um, the last few weeks, we've talked about anger, how that can limit our relationship with God and with others. We've talked about communication, how that can limit our relationship with God and with others. And the reason we've been focusing on this is because we're really working at um, some core strength, if you will, spiritually speaking. You know, we can get all jacked up and read 500 verses and memorize 20 scriptures, but if it isn't hidden in your heart, it doesn't mean anything. You've got to have that core strength because the Bible says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is like unto it, what is it? Love. Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. So some of us have no problem loving God. It's just the others we don't love as much. Or we don't have a problem loving others, but maybe we struggle with, you know, closeness with God. If there's a gap in there anywhere, the enemy will get in there and try to take advantage of it and try to bring some distraction, try to bring some destruction. So what I want to talk to you about today is who's really in control. And I want to talk to you about control. So Take a deep breath, relax. It's kind of like, this is one of those topics where people are like, uh-oh, it's getting intense in here. You know, because if we really talk about control, um, it can be kind of a scary thing. Because what I want you to hear today is simply this. What does the Bible, what does the Holy Spirit have to say about control? I'm not here to tell you what to do or how to do it. I am not a master of it. Most of what I've learned, I've learned because I screwed up. Okay? That just happens in life. Some of it's been because I've listened, but more of it's been because I've made mistakes. And so what does God have to say about control? Who's really in control in your life? Because our human nature is to want to control things. There's there's nothing wrong with controlling something. Um, But when it becomes the thing that we idolize or serve, when it becomes more important than relationships, then it becomes a problem. Can we agree on that? Okay. So what I want to do is take some time. I'm going to kind of define a little bit more about what I mean by control as we're speaking specifically about relationships. And 
then I'm, I'm just going to give you a few observations of what happens when we try to control things our way. And then I'm going to show you what the Bible has to say about what, what it means to let God or what it means to have control God's way, okay? Because whenever we do it our way, how many of you know that as smart as we think we are, we, we eventually are going to, it's going to get messed up if we do it in our own strength. Again, I'm not putting us down. God gave us a brain, but apparently we only uh, use about a small percentage of it, right? You know, I don't know how that all works, but I know this, that I can trust the Holy Spirit with everything. I can trust that he sees it all, knows it all, and in the end is going to tell me what is best to do. But at the end of the day, I still, got, I still have to choose it. And that can get down to a control issue. When I'm dealing with myself, that's one thing. When I'm dealing with my marriage, it's another. With my children, it's another. At work, it's another. With my friends, it's another. You know, And, and so we start sometimes, um, we trust the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we forget to seek Him first. So I don't want to get ahead of myself. But when I'm talking about control, um, it, here's another word that I'll use is success. How do we define success? You know, in life, do we define it the world's way or do we define it the word's way? The, the world or God, which is it, you know? Because the world will say you're successful if you have the house and the car and the 2.5 kids and the two dogs and you make this much income, where the word of God says success is defined differently. Same with control. When we look at control, we look at it because we usually want to manipulate things. And again, there's nothing absolutely wrong with that, but there's a difference between using control as a tool and using it as a weapon. And that's where the lines sometimes get blurred. We can struggle. The Word of God talks about success in the Bible. And, you know, we say you're successful when, and it just really kind of depends how you grew up. Everyone's going to be a little different. But a lot of people will define it by how much money you have in the bank. Like I said, if you have the house that you can't afford, the car that you took a loan on that you shouldn't have, but we had to do it because we had to look successful. But there's, there's other issues going on inside. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, David's getting ready to die. And it says that David spoke to his son Solomon and told him this, verses 1 through 4. As, David came, as David's time came, uh, drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, show yourself a man, keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his testimonies, according to what was written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. You see, he defined success not by his car. He didn't say, Solomon, my time is drawing near. Make sure you've got a Cadillac and a pickup truck. Make sure you got some you know, Rolls-Royce donkeys outside or something like that. It had nothing to do with that. What did it boil down to? He said, be strong. Show yourself a man. That's not a sexist comment. It, let me rephrase that, what it means. Be mature. You know, be mature. Male, female, whichever. Be mature. Keep the charge of the Lord. Walk in his ways and keep his statutes and commandments. And he says, you do this and you will succeed. This is how you define success. So success has less to do with the material things that we possess, and it has more to do with the character that we build in our life, has more to do with, with, um, with morality, it has more to do with integrity that is cultivated in a relationship with Christ and with others. The two go hand in hand. 
uh, over in Luke, if, I, if you'll allow me to jump over to Luke, Jesus is talking to, this is where he talks to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, a few lawyers are in there, and this is where he gets into all the woes. Remember, woe to you, and he starts talking to them. I'll read just a few of them. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he gets talking to them, and it says in chapter 11, verse 37, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in, and he reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not uh, first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within his charity, and then all things are clean for you. And then he goes on again. But woe to you, Pharisees. And he kind of lays out another one. But woe to you, Pharisees. And then right down around verse 45, it says a lawyer chimed in. You always love it when the lawyers chime in, right? The lawyer chimes in and says, teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. And Jesus turns to him and says, woe to you, lawyers, as well. For you weigh men down with burdens that are hard to bear. And, and he goes on with, woe is to you. And what was Jesus getting at? Why, why, if you remember that portion of scripture, he was trying to get a point across in a very extreme way, basically because he was telling them, he said, you've missed it all. He said, I gave you keys that would set you free. And instead of using the keys to set you free, you use them to make sure that the doors stay locked. You made sure to control it. Instead of letting it be something that, that is freeing, that can work and flow through you, in you and through you, you took it and you became the key master and decided to just stand there and make sure that those doors never get open. Woe to you for that because you missed the big picture. You let it become an issue of control. Now again, we have to control some things in life. If you're here today and you're afraid that at some point I'm going to say, if you have any kind of control issues or you like to control things, something's wrong with you, I'm not gonna, that's not it. I'm saying that we have to know what to control and what level of, of, of wisdom to use. But when we cross that line and let it become something that we have to control everything in order to feel good about us, then we're serving the wrong God. And that becomes a problem. And what I find interesting is, is a lot of times when we try to control things, it always starts with the small things, right? You know, we just, it, it, if you're here today with your significant other, trick question, you don't have to answer. You ever been in an argument? Well, obviously, right? We all disagree on things. But I found, we, we look back, Lisa and I, and laugh about these things now. Um, but a lot of times, some of our disagreements were over the, the stupidest things. They were little but we were trying, controls may be a harsh word, but we wanted to be right or we thought we knew better, you know. We've argued over things like this, folding towels, how to fold towels. Anybody here ever uh, argue over folding towels? Yeah, a few of you, okay. I fold them one way, she said I should fold them another. And I said, no, I like to fold them this way. She said, well, I think it should be done this way. And I said, well, then I think you should fold them. She goes, no, you can fold them, just do it the right way. You know, you, you, know, you kind of get it, right? We've argued over how to pronounce Brett Favre's name off of the Packers. She goes, it's Favre. I said, it's Favre. Favre, Favre. I said, listen to ESPN. They're never wrong, right? You know, and, you know just little things, you know. And, you know, we weren't fighting over it, but, but we were kind of staking our ground. No, I'm right. This is the way it goes. The remote control. You ever argue over the remote control? You always have the remote control. Well, here, you chuck it over at them. 
Be careful, guys. They'll turn on chick flicks, okay? <laughs> um, the, here's one of our biggest ones was the thermostat. Anybody ever are you over the thermostat? Lisa was, I don't know, you were pregnant. I don't know how far along. And typically, I forget. I see, I don't even remember if you wanted it warm and I wanted it cooler or vice versa. All I knew was whatever season it was, she kept, I think she was turning the air down. You wanted it to be cold. And every time she turned the thermostat down, all I saw was dollar signs going out the window, right? I'm like, if you're that cold, you know, go take a walk somewhere. You know, was it winter? Go outside? I don't know. And so I went over. She cranked it down to, let's say, 65. And I'm like, what does she think she's doing? Doesn't she realize how much? So I waited until she was out of the room, obviously. I'm not going to do it in front of her. And uh, she left the room, and I went over there, and I'm like, and I punch it back up five degrees, and I made sure to look the direction of whatever room she was in. Again, you never do that right in front of their face. That's, that's you know, not good. And so later on, she comes back out in the room, and I notice she's like, man, it's, it's kind of hot in here. She goes, did you turn the thermostat down or turn it back up? I said, a couple degrees. She goes, I am hot. Mm-mm-mm-mm. She hits that down. I said, do you realize how how, fr- how cold it is, how freezing it is in this house. And I went over there, and I, so now we're fighting over the thermostat. This thing's about to spark an overload or whatever. So then she finally gets mad, goes upstairs, and I'm like, fine. So I cranked it down as low as it go to like 58 degrees or something. And um, we argued over that. You know what we're trying to do? Control something that really wasn't controllable. It wasn't about the thermostat. It was about wanting to be right. It was about just these arguments over little things. We've argued over different things like TV programs to watch. And here's one that you will have. When I say argue, that's a pretty strong word. It's not like we were throwing down and fighting, okay? You know what I'm talking about, just those little things. But here's one that you'll probably face in 45 minutes. Lunch is coming. Where do you want to go eat lunch? You ever have this happen in the car? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Wherever you want to go. And so I try to do this. I say, what do you want? And she goes, whatever. Uh, She'll say, what do you want for lunch? I say, I want you to answer me. That's what I want, right? You know, and we'll, get, we'll do that back and forth. Because I don't want to pick a place and be responsible for a, a crappy place and crappy food, you know. So I don't, want, I don't want to make that decision. But she doesn't either. And maybe some other people think that way. And then we're stuck and moving nowhere, arguing and spinning our wheels about things that just absolutely don't matter. Well, as silly as that may sound, and is, is those illustrations with control, is, is what happens in life, if we're not careful, is we can, get, we can get focused on the wrong thing. Trying to control things and manipulate things so I can have my way, not even knowing if your way is the right way, the wrong way, it isn't about that. But it's about making sure that we're allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us in whatever scenario in our house so that we can find that place of peace. Jesus, where, where do you have us right now? What direction are you calling us to go? When it comes to control, maybe you grew up in a home where everything was controlled. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were the one controlling it. I, but it's not just we're talking about families. We're talking about coming to a place, as you'll find in a moment, of surrender. Because if we don't and we try to control everything, it's like playing that whack-a-mole game. We're going to be exhausted constantly trying to put fires out. And we miss relationship with one another. We miss relationship with God. And so we have to learn to be able to let that go and not try to manipulate things. Here's one way I realized the Holy Spirit, now he spoke this to me, okay? So I'm not saying this for your benefit, but if the Holy Spirit gives it to you, take it if you want. But there's times when I, I I would say a comment or a phrase that I meant, but I didn't realize what I was doing by saying it. And that phrase was this. Just let it go. 
That's what I'd say. And I specifically would use it with Lisa because she's the closest one to me. And so if she ever got upset or if the children were upset or if maybe some friends were upset, I'd say, well, you just got to let it go. Now, sometimes that's true, okay? It doesn't mean that it's not true. But what I learned was, is I was saying this. This is, a, this is what the Holy Spirit showed me. When I said, just let it go, what I was actually saying was, would you please quit talking about this because I'm not at peace with this and it bugs me. So please stop. That's what I was saying, but not saying. Did you get that? Okay, but only the Holy Spirit can show you that. If she would have pointed that out or if any of y'all would have pointed that out, it probably would have ticked me off. But the Holy Spirit pointed that out and said, Jim, every time you do that, you're trying to manipulate and control that area so you can be at peace. Now, there's nothing wrong with me wanting to be at peace. How I get there, that's where the issue came in. But only the Holy Spirit could show me that. What is it that maybe the Holy Spirit wants to show you? Maybe you're here today and you're like, that's not my problem. I don't have an issue with this. Okay, great. That's, that's great. But we can always learn, can't we? Yeah? Okay. So maybe at some point in your life, that's going to be a t- there's going to be a time when the Holy Spirit wants to uh, speak to us, and he may do it in ways like that. And he is always so gentle. He always wants the best for you and for me, for our relationships. But we have to be willing to understand that controlling things can be dangerous. Uh, It's a dangerous thing. Control's not bad. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Uh, It's about learning. It's about realizing and recognizing things that the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And when you do, you realize a couple things. Number one, you're okay. There's nothing wrong necessarily with you. And secondly, you'll realize that we're all created different. Um, So we can't place expectations on others. That's a dangerous thing to do. Because what happens is, let me give you a few observations of what happens. Uh, I'm going to give you about five of them. What happens when we try to control things, manipulate, manipulate, manage, micromanage, because we may feel like we're helping, but, but ultimately maybe there, there's a, at the core, we're making it about us. When you try to control things apart from the Holy Spirit, number one, it shows your lack of faith. It shows your lack of faith. We're saying, God, I don't think you hear me. I don't think you're aware of what's going on. So therefore, since I don't see you moving the way I think you should be, then I'm going to step in and help you out. What you're ultimately doing by getting in between whatever the topic is in God, you're saying, I have faith, but not enough to let you control it. So I'm going to step in and help you out, Jesus. It shows your lack of faith. It's those times when we think God's not going to come through, so we've got to We've we got to help him in some way. Remember Thomas in the Bible? Uh, what do we call him? Doubting Thomas, right? Now, he's a great man of God, but he's known for, for his doubt. Thomas was a disciple who walked with Jesus. He was, he was a part of the posse. He, he was the group. You know, they, they went out, and, and then Jesus had died, was buried. But when he, was, when he resurrected and showed himself to the disciples, Thomas wasn't around, so he didn't see him. So, and you guys, you know, probably know the story. It says that the disciples ran and told Thomas and said, Thomas, you'll never believe this, Jesus. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. And he went, no. He said, no, really? He said, we saw him. He's like, shut up. You guys are pulling my leg. I, I know he said that, but come on. Who, who's ever done that? And they're like, we're telling you. We saw Jesus. He's alive and he's doing just fine. And Thomas said, 
I, I need to see it to believe it. Unless I put my fingers in his hands and put my fingers in his feet and I see the wound on his side, I can't believe you guys because you, you guys are pranksters. You know? I don't know exactly if he said it that way, but he doubted. And it showed his lack of faith. And then all of a sudden, he runs into Jesus. And there he is. And of course, Thomas is like, my God, my Savior. And he said, Thomas, come on over. He said, you wanted to touch my hands? Go ahead. And Thomas had to be like, no, 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 no. We're good. We're good. And he said, no, you come over. You touch my hands. Thomas went over and touched his hands. He said, touch, touch my feet. We, I, Thomas probably wasn't saying this, but I can only imagine how I'd be in that situation. And I'd be like, I, I don't need to. I don't want to. I'm sorry I doubted you. No, touch, touch my feet. Here, I want you to put your hand on my side and feel that. I don't need to do that. And it's almost as if Jesus was saying, yeah, yeah, you do. Because when you forget who's in control, it shows your lack of faith. And, and so that's exactly what Jesus had said to him. He said, you believe because you see with your own eyes. But blessed are those who have believed and have not yet seen, there's going to be a bigger blessing for them. See, Thomas missed it, and it limited, to some degree, or at least for a season, his relationship with, with God and with his other disciple friends. No, I don't believe you. Really? I... But it was true. Thomas was trying to control the narrative. He was trying to control the whole storyline and what was going on, because it didn't make sense. And sometimes God, when he speaks to you, it doesn't make sense. Have you ever experienced that yet? God tells you to do this and you're like, do you know, do you understand? Uh, God, let me help you out. God doesn't need help. He needs obedience, as we'll find out in a moment. In the book of Mark, it says that um, a man brought a son to the disciples so that he could be, could be delivered from demon possession, but the disciples could not do anything about it. So they bring the boy to Jesus, and when he finds out the disciples couldn't do anything, this is what he said right up here. Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him, bring him to me. Now, that's not the response. I, if I were a disciple, I'd like, Jesus, I, I gave it a shot, but it ain't, ain't working. Can you help me out? And he looks at me and goes, you faithless generation. Now, he, Jesus wasn't trying to be necessarily harsh on them, but what he was trying to point out to them was that they were a faithless generation. The reason that this one did not leave for you is because you didn't have faith that it could. You believed I could do it, but you didn't believe that through me you could do it. You lacked faith. And because of that, you had no control of this situation. What you need is more of Jesus. You need more of that faith in God. And he says that when you try to control situations in our life, in our everyday world, and we have that same doubt um, when we try to control things because we're just trying to benefit ourselves. It, it shows our lack of faith. Here's number two. Number two, it reveals your insecurities. It reveals your insecurities. Now, I know that some people, when they first hear that, might say, I don't have any insecurities. But the reality is, is we all do. We all have some insecurities. We all have points of weaknesses in our life. Some of us are just good at hiding them. Some of us maybe aren't aware of them. Uh, that's neither here nor there. The point is, is when you try to control something apart from God, what happens is, is it shows your lack of faith and it reveals those insecurities. Now, nobody wants to be told they're insecure, right? Nobody likes that. 
You know, you were so insecure. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants to hear that. But the reality is, is we all have them. Remember when um, the disciples were crossing over to the other side of the sea, they faced a great storm. The disciples are in the boat, these fishermen, remember them? And they're going over across the sea. Now, these fishermen were hardcore fishermen. They were the deadliest catch type of fishermen. They, they, they smelled like fish. They looked like fish. They just everything. They just, man, they, they, they experienced storms before. This doesn't bother them. But now they're in a storm that, that's making them scared. It's, they're, they're starting to doubt. They're starting to worry. They're starting to question things. These are experienced fishermen. They have Jesus on the boat and they are afraid of the storm. They're in the midst of the storm. And they wake Jesus up because they're scared. And Jesus talks to them and says this. They go over to him and they say, Jesus, you got to get up. You don't understand. We've got 25 plus years in this, in this fishing ministry right here. And we've never seen a storm like this. What are we going to do about this? And Jesus says in Mark 4.39, why are you so fearful? And then it ends it with, how is it that you have no faith? Those two go together. He linked those together on purpose. Uh, there's no big pause in between there. Why are you so fearful and how is it you have no faith? When you try to control things in your own strength apart from God, what happens is, is it reveals your insecurities just like it did with these fishermen who were well experienced. And he said, why are you so fearful? Uh-oh, we're just going back to faith once again. They, their fear reveals some of their insecurities. And Jesus asked them once again, about their faith. Why are you so afraid? It Maybe you're here today and you're going through a storm right now and you're seasoned. You know, you've been around the block a time or two. You've lived a few generations and you understand the ups and downs and that the world can smack you upside the, the head sometimes. But now you're in a storm that you haven't experienced before. Let me ask you, are you focusing on the storm or are you focusing on the Savior that's asleep on your boat? Because that's what made all the difference for them. Jesus was sleeping on the boat. They had to wake him up. Jesus wasn't worried. Jesus was in control. The fishermen just thought they were. And when the storm showed up, their insecurities showed up as well. And they ran to Jesus, which we should all do, by the way, whenever you have a storm in your life. And you're not waking him up. It's usually us that are waking up saying, Jesus, I don't know what to do. And he may say, why are you so fearful? Why, why, why do you not have enough faith to understand that the storm you're going through is not to destroy you, it's to define you? Well, Jesus, why didn't you tell me that earlier? He'd probably say, because you haven't been around. You haven't asked. That's at least been my experience, okay? I can only speak for myself. And that's why it's so important to stay in the presence of God because when those insecurities come up, Jesus will address them in our hearts and our lives. But when we try to control things apart from God, insecurities will pop up. And number three, write this down. You're putting, you're putting your trust in self, not God. When you try to control things apart from God, you're putting your trust in you and you alone. And it's completely apart from God. When we try to be in charge and live apart from God or try to control things outside of the hand of God, you know what I mean by that. You can love God, serve God, but not surrender. And, and so he's looking for that surrender. He's looking for that, that invitation to come on into this area of my life, Jesus, and I want to give you control of that. You see, when you don't do that, when you try to control it, you're putting your trust in yourself instead of God. In other words, you're saying, 
I think I can do a better job. Now, you're not saying those words, but your actions are communicating that when we do that. And not only that, but then what happens is, number four, we become territorial. When we try to control things apart from God, we make it about us. It just it naturally happens. We become territorial. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5.23 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, you remember the other one? Self-control. He said that's the fruit of the Spirit. He said self-control. Control is something that God expects us to exercise because when we don't, we become prone to territorialism. But what he wants is not us to control our, our, our world as if we're the, the Lord of it. He's saying, invite the presence of the Holy Spirit into that. And, and he teaches us what it means to exercise control, not be in control necessarily. Like, like I said, you have to be in, in control of some things, but not apart from God. You see, if you don't do this, what happens and you try to control it on your own and you get this territorial thinking, then you get what I call the mind mentality. Everything is mine, mine. Mine. You know, this ministry? Mine. That house? Mine. That car? Mine. That woman? Mine. You know, mine, mine, mine. When really nothing belongs to us. We're stewards. That's all we are. Is she my wife? Yeah, but she's God's daughter. Is that house I have mine? Not really. It kind of belongs to the bank right now. And when I die, somebody else is going to take it. It's not really mine. But when we get territorial, we start thinking about us and self, and it destroys all of the people around us, and it's a, it's a horrible thing when we get this mind mentality. We, we, we forget that everything we have is a gift from God, and now, because of the territorialism, it becomes an object for us to possess, and we become territorial. When we try to control in that realm, it, it just... It brings destruction. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, simply says this. A person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. Now, I don't know about you. Some of you say, I'd just love to have a house. Well, if you didn't have any windows and if you didn't have any doors, you would have no stability, is what it's saying. You would have no protection from the elements outside getting in the inside. That's why there must be a surrendering and say, Jesus, I need the fruit of the Spirit self-control to be able to navigate these seasons in life. And if we don't, number five happens, you ultimately destroy that which you are trying to control. Now remember, the, the five things I gave you is what happens when we try to control things apart from God. What happens is it shows our lack of faith. It reveals our insecurities. We're putting our, our trust in self, not God. We become territorial. And then ultimately, if we don't do anything after that, it destroys the very thing we're trying to control. Now, I get that there's things that we try to control because we love them and we meant well, but it got destroyed anyway because of that control. The Bible says, uh, it, in the Bible it says, fear not lest what? Fear come upon you, is what it says. Job said, my, the worst of my fears has come true. What I've dreaded most has happened. Uh, you will find in life that that which you focus on the most, you will become one with eventually over time. And too many times we try to control things so that we can ha have it covered and make sure that everything's taken care of. And, and even if the motive's right, if we, if we try to control everything, we end up destroying it. My daughter is 24 years, five years old right now. Do you see how I had to look over at my wife there? 
uh, check in. But I remember when she turned 13. And I don't know why, just maybe it's because teenager or whatever, but she was just always Drea, my daughter, you know, and, and then 13, she's getting her own friends. She's getting to know more people in the world. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like watching as she's growing and becoming this beautiful young woman. And my first thought was, oh, no, I've got to protect her. I'm going to have to take a pistol course or something and start wearing a sidearm. And everywhere she goes, I've got to make sure to defend those evil forces that try to come against her called boys, right? Because I is one of them and I know how they think. And so I thought, I, I know what I'll do. And I could have done this. I could have said, I got to make sure to protect her because I love her. So I'm going to control this area. And I'm going, Drea, you cannot leave the house ever. I lo- I'm sorry. I love you. I'm sorry, but I, you can't leave the house. Okay. We'll DoorDash food. We'll get pizza delivery. Uh, yeah, feel free. Go to the restroom, watch TV, but you can never leave. I could have controlled that whole thing. And what would she have done the moment she turned 18? Boom. She'd have been right out the door and never looked back. Why? Because I controlled that environment so firmly that she resented that environment and left. It, it destroyed it. Now, that did not happen, obviously, if you know my daughter. But that, that's kind of a picture of what it can look like when we all of a sudden control too much. We ultimately destroy that which we are trying to control. So how can we avoid that? How can we get to a place that's healthy? How do we exercise the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, the way that the Word of God has called us to, how can we ask for the help of Jesus in this process? This is working in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Number one, choose humility before it chooses you. Here's what I mean by that. Notice I said choose it. You have to choose it. Don't wait for it. Don't hope for it. Don't wish upon a star for it. Choose it. You choose humility. If you do not choose to humble your heart, the world will do it for you. It will do it for you. And I don't know, again, I can only speak from my experience, but there's times when I've not been quick to humble my heart, and the world has humbled me. Uh, Here's a better word, humiliated. You know, I thought I was all that and doing so great, and I got all the answers only to find out I didn't know what I was talking about. Be quick. When you're dealing with control, Lord, I, want, I don't want the world's way. I want God's way, but God's way makes me feel like I have less control. But the, the kicker is, as we'll find out in a moment, when you do God's way, you have ultimately more control than when you're apart from him. But you have to choose. It starts with choosing to humble yourself. Choose humility before it chooses you. Um, it's an important step. Here's James chapter 4 verse 10. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will what? Lift you up. He will lift you up. He will lift you up when? When you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. So that's where we start. Then we go to number two, release your worries to God. Oh, piece of cake. I got this one. I can tell him all day long what I'm worried about. I didn't say tell him what you're worried about. I said release it. And that's different. We're good at worrying. Can we agree on that? You know, you know, we 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 are we are uh, we got our PhDs in it. Um, we can worry in many different languages, even though we can't speak more than one. Uh, you, you get my point. We we know how to worry, but yet Jesus tells us that we're not to worry about anything. And when it comes to being in control, once you choose to humble your heart, you and I have to choose. We have to release our worries to God. So that that brings me to a question this morning that I wasn't planning on asking, but I'm going to ask 
this is between you and God. What are you worried about today, right now? Like when you were getting ready to come here and you thought, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should, maybe I uh, probably have to. You know, I just, I, there's so much going on in life. What are you worried about right now? I'm not even going to give you examples. I just want you and the Holy Spirit to think about that for a minute. Right now, this, you know, today, February 11th, 11.38 p.m., I am currently worrying about, and then whatever that is, he's calling us to release that. Well, I wish it was that easy, Pastor. Oh, well, you just told me it was. You see, there's a difference between talking to him about my worries and releasing them. That means letting go of, surrendering. We can worry about what might happen, what will happen, what did happen, what didn't happen, what might potentially happen. And it's crazy. It's a vicious cycle. We spend more time worrying about what could go wrong in life that we never seem to spend time enjoying what is right in life because we're worrying all the time. Well, Pastor, did you just call me a worried wart? Nope. Nope, not saying that. I'm saying that we're all good at it. And when we're exercising the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, he says, humble your heart and then release your worry. But pastor, my worry is a heavy one. That's why he wants you to release it. It's crushing you. And that's never the way he intended you to live life. Don't let it crush you. Release that to him. And you'll see that he'll bring healing in your heart. Did you know that we spend so much more treating anxiety, worry, stress, things like that, more now today than ever. Those things are real. I'm not making fun of that. I get it. But we're spending more time treating the symptoms of those things rather than treating those things, learning what it means to release and to give up to God, to be able to say, Lord, I surrender. There's an overwhelming number of statistics I put in my notes that I'm not going to bore you with. I got my nerd on for a while. But they have an increasing amount, percentage-wise, of teenagers who are experiencing extremely high levels of stress, depression, anger, worry, and suicide, I think was all of them. Immensely on the rise, because they don't know what to do when it comes to the worries that they face in their life. Well, Jesus tells us that we are supposed to release them. Well, why doesn't everybody know that? They need to know that. That's why we're talking about that. The Word of God says that we have to choose to release that. The Bible says this, don't worry. If God takes care of a sparrow... How much more is he going to take care of you, right? You know what a sparrow is, right? It's just a tiny little bird. He says, I'll take care of that. If I'll take care of that, I'll take care of you. Uh, the Bible also says, let not your heart be in trouble. It says, I go and prepare a place for you. The Bible says, be anxious for, do you know the right? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now we know this. But do we know it in, in, in our walk? Do we, do we let our worries dictate the steps we take? Or do we let the Holy Spirit? When you let the worries dictate the steps that you take, that's controlling. When you release and surrender to God, as scary as it is, that's what it means to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, uh, of self-control. Um, nothing catches my attention more than Mary and Martha in the Bible when it comes to, uh, comes to this place of worries, you know, they, 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 not just about worry, but about humility as well. There's a lot of lessons learned. Jesus shows up at their house at Mary and Martha's, and Martha runs to the kitchen. Mary runs to Jesus's feet, right? And, um, you know, as the story goes, it's not, it's a real story in the Bible. 
says that Martha was in the kitchen. Now, that was the customs of that time. If, if a guest came to your house, uh, if there was ever a time of fellowship, you got some food going on, right? Super Bowl party, right? So she's trying to get the food ready. But yet, Mary's not coming in and helping. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's getting ticked off. And she says, Jesus, can you tell that no good sister of mine to get up off her butt, walk into the kitchen, and start helping me with these hors d'oeuvres? And Jesus has something to say about that. And he says, Martha, Martha. Now, anytime my parents called my name, that was one thing. When they called my full name, I was in trouble. If they said my name twice, I might as well just run, right? But he says, Martha, Martha. Not in a condemning way, not like he was trying to yell at her, but he said, you are worried and you're bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. And what was it? It's what Mary was doing, sitting at the feet of Jesus. So let me ask again, what are you worried about that you need to take to the feet of Jesus and leave it and lay it down and let it go? Here's what he says in Matthew 11, verse 30. My yoke, it's easy, and my burden is light. It's light. He says, you'll know it's me because the pressure, the stress, it'll be off you. But you've got to do something about that. You have to release your worries to God. And then, number three, give, and it will be given. When you're feeling that wave of control wash over you, maybe, your normal, normal tendency is to want to work harder at controlling that situation. But today, God is teaching us and leading us to a place where we may discover that we have to make a few adjustments, a few corrections, to, to not micromanage it further, but to give. Pastor, are you saying that when I feel like life is out of control, I should start just giving all my stuff away? No, I did not say that. I'm saying that have that grateful heart that when God tells you to give, whatever that means, your time, your talent, your treasure, when he tells you to surrender, when he tells you to forgive, when he tells you to let go, give up, whatever, when he tells you, are you going to be willing to give? Because it's then when you give, it will be given. He's looking for surrender. How is it that when a guy points a gun at somebody, our first reaction is to do this? For most of us. I know there's some ninja masters out there that might go after him, but not me. My hands are going up. But when Jesus shows up and says he wants something, I don't surrender as quick. You know, there's, there's, there's a difference. He says, give. And when you give, it will be given back to you in ways you never could have imagined. Some people think, well, that doesn't work for me. God's not showing me anything. Well, here's the key. You have to ask him, okay? If God's not showing you something, it's maybe because you haven't asked him the question. I've had this happen before. Why isn't God telling me, speaking to me, showing me this? And I've had somebody tell me before, have you, have you asked them? And I went, I did everything but that. I need to go ask him. And then when you do and you go and you ask him, give him that permission, he will speak to you. And God knows when you mean it, by the way, right? You know, I can tell when my kids tell me something, I can tell if they mean it or not. My wife, when she says, hey, honey, do you want to go shopping at Ikea? She knows when I go, sure, honey, I'd love to. She knows if I mean it or not, right? Because she can tell by my demeanor. She can tell the motive of my heart. God can tell when you mean it. And he's saying, I just want you to invite me into your your reality. And if you will be willing to surrender and give, then I will give back to you in abundance. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. I took this out of the message translation, so it's a little different. 
It says, give away your life and you'll find life given back. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. This is the same verse, give and it will come back to you. Um, he's saying that if you will learn to surrender this area of control, he says, I'll give back to you with bonus, with blessing. Those are words we love. Bonus, heck yes. Time and a half, double pay. He says, I'll do that for you, spiritually speaking. But we have to do our part. We have to choose humility. We have to release our worries. And then we have to give in order for it to be given. And then lastly is simply this. Obey and practice his instructions daily. Make it a part of your routine. If you're in this controlling environment or you're the one controlling it or you feel like you're out of control, whatever, whatever scenario, use this template and let it guide you. Obey and practice his instructions in a daily way. And when you do that, God starts to remove those obstacles in our lives that used to taunt us. You see, our natural tendency is to do what we think is best. And though our hearts might be in the right place, it doesn't mean automatically our heads are. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we can't just run in and try to control things. Yes, if there's a child running into the road and there's a car coming, I don't need to pray about it. I don't need to fast about it. I need to act upon it. But when we're talking about decisions in life, maturing in our walk, maturing in our marriages, maturing in relationships with our children and our friends, we need to say, God, how am I doing? And we check in and let the fruit of the Holy Spirit be the thing that it filters through. Lord, is my heart pure? Are my motives pure? Because I want them to be right. Lord, I'm choosing today to surrender so that whatever I face this day, you will be glorified. When people see me, they, they will see you. That's what it means to completely surrender. And as you surrender to Christ and lay your worries at his feet and humble your heart, you will have times where God will begin to reveal to you some areas that he may want you to give up. God's spoken to me and told me to give some things up that I didn't want to give up. It was, a, I know people are right now like, ooh, I wonder what it was. Was it juicy? Was it something bad? Was it something good? That's irrelevant. It was something that he told me to give up and I was like, I don't want to. He's like, okay, I'm waiting. And it's only when I came to the place where I chose to surrender that I saw blessing upon blessing because of pure and simple obedience. See, this isn't about just give up, quit, surrender. You're saying, not my will, but yours be done, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, you bring those thoughts into the captivity of Christ. You steward your mind well. And don't let people's mistakes and sins tell you how to think. Let me end with this and we'll be done. Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Who here doesn't want to experience some peace in their life? Well, God says, I'll give that to you. 
but let it be filtered through me. Our instincts may tell us to think one way, but when the Holy Spirit says something otherwise, are we going to be quick to listen to God or ourselves? Only you and I get to choose that. Only you and I get to decide. So my challenge is simply this. Why not let God, whatever may be below the surface, allow him to bring it to the surface so that we can surrender that and be free in the name of Jesus. I want to ask if you just close your eyes with me as we pray. And I just want to pray for each and every one of us. Maybe you're here today and um, this is an issue in your life, you know, whether it's you've been controlled or you're, you're controlling. It's not about as much about how can I fix everything so everything's perfect by next week. It's about coming just before you, Jesus, and saying, Lord, we ultimately want to surrender to you first and foremost. Jesus, I pray for each and every person here today, for those that are watching online, that have been struggling with issues, and maybe there are some points that came up, moments when the Holy Spirit tugged at your heart. Jesus, you want to speak to us. You want to heal our hearts. So Lord, I pray for every person here today that, Lord, you would heal those wounds in our hearts where maybe we've made poor choices. We thought we were in control but made a wrong choice. For the times maybe when we've said no to you because we didn't trust you. And so, Lord, we just simply say, please forgive us. Lord, maybe it's for times when we've tried to control environments. Our motive was right, but our actions were wrong. Lord, we're just asking you to forgive us. We repent of that. And we ask today that you would come and that you would renew our hearts. and Let there be a refreshing that would take place in the name of Jesus, a refreshing that will bring healing and wholeness, that will cause us to lift our head up, that even though things may be falling apart around us, we can walk tall because we know that you're in the midst of it. We thank you and ask this in your name. Amen.